Good evening. Good to see all of you here again tonight. Well, it's football season. A lot of good football to watch. I like college football a little bit. I don't watch it very much, but I like the idea of college football, let me say that. I've been to one uh, UT football game in my life. Many of you have been to many more. But what I like about it is just the, the energy that's there. Whether it's at a UT Vols or the Tennessee Titans or White House or Portland, wherever your school might be, there's an energy that is in the stadium at the time. One of the things, of course, that you'll notice is everybody's got their colors on. Now, when White House played Portland in Portland, where I work, I was wearing a Star Wars shirt because I didn't want to pick sides, although I was sitting on the White House side. But anyway, people go to these games, these sporting events, and they want to show who they are with. We are with this group, so we wear this color. We are separate from that group. We don't wear their color because we want to be separate. And that's what God has called us to be. He has called us to be separate from the world. And God is always in one way or another, required that His people be separate. And this is required due to His purposes. He has an idea, He has a plan that He wants us to live out. And to a degree, a group, a person cannot live out that plan if they are bound to the confines and the restrictions of another group. And by separating themselves, this allows God's followers to follow Him exclusively, which is, of course, what He wants. You know, you can't have it both ways and be a true fan of a certain sporting team. You can't be a true follower of God if you've got one hand on Christ, thinking you do anyway, and one hand holding on to the world. We must be a separate people. There have been several ages over history. In the first, the patriarchal age, there was a family religion. The father of each family was essentially the priest to that family. So each family took care of themselves religiously. This was during the patriarchal age. And in the second age, the Jewish dispensation, there was a national religion. The nation of Israel was to maintain its separation from all other nations of the earth. There was that national, that group religion for the Jewish people. And now in the third age, the Christian age, there exists a religion that can go across, uh, across people, across groups, and across the world. And yet God still demands that we be a separate people. Separate from who? Separate from those who are still in the world. And you can see how the Jews in the Old Testament really kind of went the wrong way with this. They would be their own group, their own people. God wanted them to be that way. And yet they would intermarry with other groups, groups that worshipped other gods, groups that would bow down to graven images and to idols. And God didn't want that to happen. He told them about it. You shall not have any other gods before me. He didn't want them to do that. But they, they knew better. They had desires that they wanted to fulfill. So they went in that direction and chose to blend with other people. God asks us to go into the world to reach them with the gospel. But at the same time, we must be different. We must be separate from the world. And so we're going to talk tonight 
about how Christians should be a separate people. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, please. Genesis chapter 12, we read here of the call of Abraham and how he was to set himself apart for God's purposes. Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Family units, of course, during this time were together. They stuck together a great long time. That's how they farmed. That's how they lived together. But here God tells Abram to go into another country. Leave your relatives. Leave your father's house. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. Abram doesn't know where he's going, but God is telling him, hey, you're going to be a blessing to the world. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God is calling Abraham to be a separate person, to be a separate family. You're going to have to leave these people, but there's going to be a reward behind it. There's going to be a reward for you, Abraham. So go and leave your country and go to a nation that I will tell you about at a later time. So Abraham had to separate himself, and he did this because of faith. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1. You know, a lot of times we face Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we look at things, and a lot of times we face insurmountable obstacles, it seems like. Abraham, I know at this time when he was told to move, and that was no small matter. You know, you had to load up your donkeys or, or your camels. You had to go someplace. God can sometimes set us forth on a journey in one way or another. Or perhaps we face obstacles or difficulties in our life. And how do we see that through? Well, hopefully, like Abraham did. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. We have calendars that are just full. I can ask many of you, and you'll know exactly where you'll be on a particular day three months from now. And here we, though, we have Abraham who does not know where he is going. There's actually companies out there, I learned of this the other day, that'll plan a vacation for you. They'll tell you how to dress and and what's packed, but you don't know where you're going. That kind of shakes a lot of us up. But here Abraham was told to do something great, and he didn't know what that meant. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. He lived as an alien. We don't know what that's like, many of us, to be in a, in a foreign place, Many of us have traveled maybe to a different state. That can seem strange. Many of us have traveled outside of the country, been in different areas. You get a taste of that. But we get back and we say, you know what? There's no place like home. But Abraham right here, he had to live as an alien. He was bound to that location. He was bound to that promised land. And he had to stay there. But what did he, how did he do that? He lived by faith. For he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. He trusted the architect. He had faith 
in that architect to take care of him. Okay, Lord, you want me to go someplace? That's fine. I'm going to have faith in you to take care of me for that. Because Abraham knew that he must follow God's purpose and be separate from the rest of the world. Next, we, talk of, we can look at how the Jews were called separate and apart as a separate nation. He called the Jews out of Egypt. Why did he do that? Why couldn't they have just stayed there? They were living peacefully. They were serving. And they had food. Many of them complained later on, you know, we could have just stayed there and had our bellies full, but you've led us out here to die, Moses. But what did God want His people to do? He wanted them to be let go so that they could serve Him. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 20. So being separate was essential to their worship. If you are living in the world, if the world is just fulfill, is filling up your heart, and you're here trying to worship, that can be difficult. I could be somewhere else. I could be doing something different. I don't have to be here singing these songs or, or acting like I'm praying. I've got too much of the world in me if we were actually honest with ourselves. But God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. They had to be separate so that they could worship because all that they saw in Egypt was idol worship. And we see that influence when they made the golden calf. See, that influence even followed them. God was trying to get them out of that influence. He wanted them to be separate. But Egypt was still in them. You know what? I remember what the Egyptians did. They had these golden calves. Let's, let's make that. Let's make some type of animal, some type of idol that we might worship, and maybe that thing will deliver us. They were holding on. Their hearts, their way of living was still back in Egypt. And God said, no, I want you to be separate. I want you to be different than what they were. The Jews were formed into a separate nation. 1 Kings 8 and verse 53. For you have separated them from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance, as you spoke through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers forth from Egypt, O Lord God. Their holiness was to be maintained. And this can only happen through a certain level of separation. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 9. We'll read about this here. 1 Kings chapter 9. God called them forth. He wanted them to be separate. He wanted them to follow Him. He had the commandments, had the law that He wanted to bring about for them to follow and for them to live by. <clears throat> but how can they? If they're with other groups, how can they if... When they go home at night, their wife or, or their husband is espousing the beliefs of another God. How can they do that? If they are to be holy in God's eyes, there must be some separation between them and the world. 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 6, But if you are your sons, indeed <clears throat> turn away from following me, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods, and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight, so Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. I'm going to, I'm going to make a lesson out of them. I'm going to make an example out of the Israelites if they don't follow me, if they do not do as I have instructed. 
<clears throat> and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods, and they worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this advers adversity on them. We see this played out throughout the Old Testament about the Israelites begging to come back to God. And after a couple of generations, they leave Him once again, following these other idols, going back, no longer being sep a separate nation, but joining other nations because they think that's what they want to do. Then whenever God puts them into captivity, they realize, I think that was a bad idea. And that's what we need as a people, as a country, to wake up and see that we can't go after worldly desires. All we must do is follow God and be what He would have us to be. Here are some examples of what the Israelites went through. Israel was carried into Assyrian captivity during the reign of Hosea in 722 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar captures Jerusalem in 606 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar took 10,000 captives. You know, the population of a small town during the reign of Jehoiakim, 597 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and took Zedekiah as a captive into Babylon, 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar took 10,000 more captives during the reign of Jehoiakim, 597. And did I read that already? Yes, I did. Sorry about that. That's a double slide. Here's where I want to be. At the exhortation of Ezra, however, they repented. It's all right that I put that double slide in because more even happened beyond that than what I could even list right here. That as the people fell away from God and, and wanted to be with other groups, God said, okay, go ahead. And His blessings actually left them. Let's look at Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10, we can see what happens when a heart realizes what it should be doing instead. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 10, Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful and have married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do His will and separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly replied with a loud voice, That's right. As you have said, so it is our duty to do. Many prophets tried to get the people to return, judges did, to return back to God. Lots of times they didn't. But here is an example in the book of Ezra where he preaches to them and says, you've gone away from God. You married foreign wives. You left your Creator. You worshipped other gods. And you should be ashamed. There should be guilt on your heart. There should be guilt in your soul, and you should want to repent of that, and indeed they did finally. And in the subsequent verses, they work out the details and the logistics of that. But here Ezra calls them to repent, and indeed they did. And if you are not separate from the world, then repentance is definitely needed in your life. God also calls us to be a separate church. Separate church in the fact that He died to establish it. Matthew 16 and verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Christ died for a church, not for churches. 
Not for many. He died for all of mankind. But Christ through Christ came to this earth and died for it. And the Holy Spirit later on, subsequently, inspires the writers to give us the New Testament for us to see how He wanted the church to continue on. In the book of Acts, we see that as a good example. And throughout the letters that Paul wrote, James and John and Peter, we find further instructions that come down as the inspired Word of God that teach us and show us how the one true church should be. So what is the church, actually? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 2, the, the word there, ecclesia, translated into church, is, actually means the called out, the set apart, those who are separate, those who are different, you see. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. So within just that phrase, Peter has actually encapsulated what I've been talking about today. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, much like Moses, much like the Jewish nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light with the teachings of the New Testament that talk about the New Testament church, how it should be, how it should organize itself, what it should be, I want to get as close to that as I possibly can. I don't want it to be tainted with, with traditions or, or with things that, that man has written or man has, has added to it. I want it to be the called out, like Paul wrote to the Corinthian congregation. I want us to be that ecclesia, as I know that you do as well, the called out, the set apart. And we are to be separate in many ways. First off, we should be separate in our speech, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. It seems like some people try to add up as many as they can, like they're going for a high score or something like that. Because they just talk and just rack up those, those bad words, that bad, foul language. But Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That's one of the best ways to set yourself apart as a Christian, is to talk differently. You know, I never hear you cuss. I never hear you say a bad thing about somebody. I never hear you spread gossip. Because your speech is different. But only such a word as is good for edification. I know that's tough sometimes. Okay? I get to tell people what's wrong with them, so I've got an advantage. right? But a lot of times you want to tell somebody what's wrong with them, and maybe they need it. Maybe they need a good dose of correction, some of which I talked about this morning. But I think most of us are too quick to cut someone down because it makes us feel good. Not because it'll make them feel better, which should be our intent. If we're giving someone constructive criticism, we have that kind of relationship with them. But Paul says, use your words that are good for edification according to the need of the moment. You know, a lot of times we don't say things because the moment doesn't call for it. Now's, now's not the time. Now's not the time to say it. The person will just get mad. They're not listening already. And so Paul says we've got to be good with our words and use them 
at the right time because what do we want to really do? Whenever we do use our words, we want those words to give grace to those who hear. We want our words to do good things. In the world, all their words ever do a lot of times is cut people down because that's what sells on the internet, that's what sells on television, words that hurt people. And we should be different than that. We should be set apart. God's people should also be separate in doctrine. Let's look at 2 John verses 9 through 10. We should be separate in our doctrine. A lot of people want to say, you know, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want our congregation to have a doctrine. I don't want our church to have a doctrine. Not having a doctrine is a doctrine, by the way. Not having one is one. It's too restrictive. Well, how do we know we're following God if we don't have some kind of doctrine? You know, people who know how to use words, they can just get up and they can say things and make people believe it. It's called the illusion of confidence. If I get up here and I start babbling stuff out, you're going to have to start really listening to see if what I'm saying is true. And you're going to have to start finding it in Scripture. Because a lot of times when people are speaking, people will listen just because the person is confident in what they're saying. It's how you fool people a lot. But hopefully what I say can be found here. Hopefully my words are God's words coming from the Word of God. And so we want to, though, be separate in our doctrine. 2 John verses 9-10 through 10. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. So here we have John, inspired writer of the Word of God, and Diotrephes, who is saying, I don't like what he's saying. Diotrephes wants to be the head man. He wants to be in charge. And John is taking issue with that. John is an apostle. He has been sent from God. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Diotrephes is saying, wait, I want to be first. Let's get this John guy out of here. For this reason, verse 10, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds. He was teaching something he shouldn't, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. He's not edifying. He's trying to put himself out in front and get the other men out of the way. He himself does not receive the brethren either. So he's got people that he should be fellowshipping, and he's pushing them away. Maybe they don't fit his criteria. Maybe he has judged them unworthy to sit in his presence. Who knows what it is, but he is not accepting them. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Apparently, Diotrephes thought that he was the, the judge and the jury over who should be selected, who should be brought in their particular congregation. Maybe they, they were baptized into Christ. It sounds like John calls them here, calls them brethren. Brethren, they've been baptized, yet Diotrephes doesn't want them. He's teaching, you see, a different doctrine. And that's what we have to be careful of. That's what the elders here have to be careful of. What are we teaching? What are we putting out there as doctrine? Is it truth? It better be. It better be. And we're going to be different from other congregations who might call themselves churches. We're going to possibly teach something about the plan of salvation. We're going to teach something different about singing and making melody in our hearts here in the building. We're going to teach something different about the Lord's Supper. And we're doing what we can to follow the Word of God as best we can. And, and these principles are strange to many. 
They've never thought of it that way. Have you ever talked to somebody about your faith? They've been like, I've never heard that before. Let's study some more on those people. Help them understand and see the way of righteousness. But we are to be separate in our doctrine as well as we hold to the Word of God the very best that we can. We must also be separate in our lifestyle. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's a lot of good in this world. We've got each other. There's a lot of evil too. And so many people have both hands in the five-gallon bucket of the world and will not let go. And that bucket's full of concrete and it's going to get them in and they're not going to be able to get their arms out because they were hanging on it too tightly and for too long. And so it's got them. And so if you are a friend of the world, you are hostile towards God. If you want to be a friend of the world, then you are an enemy of God. So you've got to do some... Real self-analysis here. How much of the world is inside of me? How much of the world do I have and do I need to let go? If you've got your hands on the world, you do need to let go because we have to have a separate lifestyle as well and live as Christ would have us to live. That's how we'll be the light of the world. That's how we'll be the salt of the earth is by being separate and by being different as well. But we must not separate ourselves so much that we can't reach people. Because the good book tells us we should be in the world, but not of the world. Big distinction there. And whenever we act that way, we can, we can take the light of Christ to the world. We can show them how Christ would have them to live. And they can find a better way. And we can evangelize as we have been instructed. There is a coming a time when a separation will be made in Matthew chapter 25. We talked about that a few weeks ago when the, the sheep will be separated from the goats and people will learn their final eternal fate. I hope you're separated now though. I hope you're different now. I hope we're different as a group. I hope you're different as an individual as you strive to live that Christian life in a world that oftentimes despises Christ, but in a world that needs Him so desperately. So through being different, being unique, I hope that your friends and family notice that, and I hope they'll want to know more, and I hope that you'll be able to tell them. And for some of you, I hope that you'll be able to say tomorrow that you're a Christian, because you're not one right now. You're in the world too much, or you've just not made that decision. Come forward tonight. And let us help you become a Christian in the New Testament church. Or if you are a Christian and have strayed, let us pray for you in that manner as well. So that you might have sins that are in your life and they might be forgiven. Won't you come now as we stand and sing to encourage you?